0: We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. We are doing this series at the moment called Transforming People, trying to be this people who transformed the world around us. In this series, we're looking at what it means to be the church, and this is especially uh, real for us because we've just passed five years as a church. St. Martin's C3 is five years old, and we are, yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, we can clap that. We should have a cake or something. We should have something to celebrate that. Um We'll see when we might do that ourselves. We'll just have a cake on your behalf. Uh, so, anyway, we've five years as a church celebrating what it means to be the church and reflecting on who we are and what the future looks like. What does it look like for us to continue to be the church God has called us to be? Warren, in the first week, outlined that the church are the holders and speakers of God's truth to the world. He then saw how God has equipped us all to live for Him. And how the church can release you in your purpose. Last week we had a special guest, Grant Norsworthy, who encouraged us to worship God in our singing. Don't come for a performance, he said. Be the band. We're all the band when we come on a Sunday. Today what I want to do is I want to encourage you to think about the words of Jesus on the night he was portrayed. And in particular, I want to see how this can propel us, and some words from the Apostle Paul, how we can increase community in the church in general and in church here. As Jesus went to the cross, he had some things on his mind. In particular, he prays this amazing prayer in John 17. And in that prayer, he prays for his friends that they would be protected. And then astonishingly, he prays for me which is quite nice, and for you, which is also nice. He prayed for who we are to be and the way that we can change the world. Let's read these words from John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23. I pray not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one. Just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one, as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity, that the world will know that you sent me, and that you love them as much as you love me. Isn't that amazing? Jesus' thoughts as he was going to the cross were about the impact his death and his resurrection would have on us. He went to the cross thinking about what would make his future followers, the church, most impactful in the world. And the word that he thought of as he thought of that was this word unity. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. Such perfect unity. That would be a sign to the world. And that you love me. That you love them as much as you love me. What amazing words. There is supposed to be something special about the church. Our mission is to have such an amazing relationship uh, with each other that it would give a glimpse into what God is really like. Jesus knew that people wouldn't see him in person, and he didn't feel that just the individual lives of Christians was enough. And so he purposefully set up a group of people to display who he was to the world. He knew that if his followers could relate to people in a way that was distinctive, in a way that was different than other groups, that people would have to stand up and pay attention. And what I want us to do this morning is I want us to have a little think about a diagram, which I'm going to draw up on the board here. I want us to think about the different relationships that we have in our life, the different people that we grow close to. I want us to explore the quality of relationships that we have with people. Let's think, at one end of this line, if you were to go at base... Ground zero, you're going to have your relationships with your strangers. I'm just going to write an S there, or this board's going to get very busy. Uh, you've got relationship with strangers. You don't have any relationship with them, right? They might be lovely people, they might be amazing people, but you really don't know them. And then at the other end, you've got uh, the closest possible relationship. And I'm going to put an M up there to represent what I think is probably the closest possible relationship when it's working is marriage. There is a degree in marriage uh, of shared life experiences, of vulnerability, of trust, and of intimacy. And what I want us to consider today is where on this line should our relationship with the people in the church be? Where on that line, have a bit of a think, where do you think on that line, where should our relationship with people in the church be? Because we have all kinds of relationships, right? I love playing basketball, and occasionally I get some people to get out here to play. It's a a lot of fun. Well, we we do occasionally hurt each other. There are a couple of members of this congregation who regularly turn up on Sunday morning with a black eye after playing on on Saturday night. It's not intentional. It just happens when you play basketball uh, with each other. But we really fight. There's not usually any animosity there. It's a really good relationship. But when push comes to shove, are those people as close to me as people in a marriage? Or, or if I was really going through something, would they, would they be those who I would look to? And we'd probably say no. We would say that maybe uh, my sports team uh, is going to be, you know, they're more than strangers, but they're not quite that marriage-type relationship, so they're there. Others are involved in different types of communities. Some people are involved in online communities, and they actually go a little bit deeper, right? An online community, sometimes online communities can share deep parts of their lives with each other. I remember when uh, I was uh, a new-time parent, and I was trying to figure out, how do I do this parenting thing? And so I'd go online, and I'd read blogs, and there would be uh, all these chat groups, and what I found really disconcerting for a little bit is, I'm not sure if you've seen this, but new parents tend to have their own language. They have all of these acronyms that they use. So they might say something like, when will my DDSTTN?" I'm like, whoa, I don't even know what you mean. What are you even talking about? But if you were in, if you were on that online community posting all the time, you know they're saying, so when will my dear daughter sleep through the night? and I look at that and I go wow, these guys they have their own language this is this is really interesting it's a little bit more than than just a sports type relationship they're an online community but are they there with each other are they really going through life together eh, maybe not so much we do have all kinds of relationships another group we had something to do with was uh, the residents association where we lived in england when we moved to birmingham we went uh, we were on the second and third floor of an apartment block. And we had no outside space, it was just the two floors there. One of our challenges was washing. Our washing machine was in a very small kitchen and we had no dryer. So how do you dry your clothes? Well we had to use a clothes horse. But fortunately we had these really nice big windows that caught the sun and we just put the clothes horse there to dry our clothes. One day a couple of weeks, maybe even a week after moving in, uh, my wife Joanna got a knock on the door and who should it be but the residents' Association. We since found out that they were church people. And uh, this lady from the residents' Association didn't say welcome to the neighborhood. She didn't say, here's how to contact us if something goes wrong. No, instead what she said is, I'm from the residents' Association. And I want to let you know that you're not allowed to put your washing in view of the window. It makes the place look slummish. And then she turned around and she walked away. And in our nearly five years there, that was our only contact with the residents Association. So, uh, you know, we were residents. We were actually part of this group. So where do you think I should put them on the line? Behind strangers. strangers. (laughs) Yeah, well, the truth is that sometimes we don't just have uh, positive relationships with people. We can actually have, and I'll put down here E for enemies if we, if we get that far, <laughs> but the residents' association was definitely not a very nice kind of relationship. So then, we had a look at these things. What about church? Where on this line should church be? What quality of relationship should we have with the people from our local church? Well, I want you to first think about your experience. When you think of your interaction with the church, where would you mark it? And I'm sure if I got you all, if I gave you all a pen and I got you all to mark up on the board here, that there would be a very wide range of experience. Am I right? There would be some experience where it's as good as a stranger, maybe. Or it's a lot deeper. Or there's an enemy type relationship because things haven't gone as well as we've seen jesus cared very deeply about the quality of relationship we have in the church his desires that the quality of our relationships would be a sign to the world of who he is and the kind of life that he has for us so does that mean that our relationship should be right up by the m line that we should have that kind of relationship Well, unfortunately, the lived experience is that even if you were to live in a commune with people, we don't have the space in our life to have that kind of relationship with a big group of people. It's just not possible. You cannot have really deep relationships with everybody. So what should it be? Well, to see what it looks like, I want to explore a few words from the Apostle Paul and his first letter to the people of Corinth. Now, in Paul's letters, he tries to balance two key things. One is holiness, and the other one is unity. Nowhere is that tension more evident than in the city of Corinth. Paul has some big issues of holiness to deal with these people. There's sexual immorality, there are lawsuits, there's spiritual pride. They also struggle to love each other, so they have issues with unity. There were factions and fights over leadership, a misunderstanding of spiritual gifts, and how to use them in the church. And this is the letter where where Paul will have to teach them about love. You know, that, that... One we hear in weddings all the time, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. And he's not doing that because he thinks it's great for romantic relationships. He's doing that because he's going, guys, you're missing what this is all about, this this unity, this church thing. So how Paul begins his letter then is is really important. After some opening remarks, he begins his argument in a way that, that sums up everything I think we want to say about what it means to have quality of relationships in the church. He says these words. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10. I appeal to you my dear brothers and sisters by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church rather be of one mind united in thought and purpose. Paul's words speak directly to their issues. And they have keys for our question today about the quality of relationships that we have with each other. He calls them up to a higher standard, maybe one that we can see ourselves. The first thing Paul says is that we should live in harmony with each other. Paul is trying to get people to reflect upon the core things in their faith that there is a special relationship with every person who calls themselves a Christian, a harmonious one, or a, a friendly one? Have you ever had a, a special interest and then met someone who has the same interests? I remember talking to someone about a band I really enjoyed, and it turned out they liked the same band, and we were able to have a lengthy conversation with the, uh, together about this band and, and uh, their best albums, their best songs, what happened when that member left, and, and that member came back in, and they knew the words, and I knew the words, And when that happens, there's this this connection, isn't there? I read this week of a couple who'd been married for 20 years, and the reason they connected was a shared interest in the Smashing Pumpkins. That's the band, not the activity. It's a 90s band, if you need to look it up. Uh, And they connected over that, and they were able to build something much deeper. I also once heard someone once talk to Bono, the lead singer of U2, about charity work he was doing. And as part of this charity work, he was getting in touch with and talking with the current president of the United States of America at the time. And there were a number of people who did not like this president, and so they said to him, Bono, how can you get on with this president? How can you actually sit in a room and have a conversation with him after all the evil things this person has done? And Bono said something very interesting. He said, uh, I only need to have one thing in common with someone to get on well with them. I, need to, I only need to have one thing in common with them. And we just stay focused on that one thing. And he said, and this, for this president, that one thing was charity work. And the work that we could see and the amazing things we could do to make a difference. And that for Christians, we have something pretty big in common, don't we? We have something really uh, massive. So therefore, I think we need to move every Christian out of the stranger box and at the very least seek harmony with them. If there's connection over something as superficial as a band, there should be an even deeper connection with someone who calls themselves a Christian. It's the core of who we are. Do you think about this? Every time you meet a Christian, you meet someone whose core life principles reflect your own. Every time you meet a Christian, you meet someone who has devoted their life to following Jesus. Every time you meet a Christian, you meet someone who is part of your family, brothers and sisters in Christ. Every time you meet a Christian, you meet someone who is more than a stranger. That doesn't mean we need to go deep with every Christian, but it does mean that we should look for opportunities to be friendly with every person who walks through our doors. This will look different depending on whether you're an extrovert or an introvert. And I know introverts that can be like, oh, you're going to make me go and say hi to everybody. No, but there are ways that we can be friendly. I challenge you to move forward uh, in relationship with the people of the church. So what we want to do is we want to move people who maybe we have originally seen as strangers. And we can move them into a friendly type relationship. This can be a positive way that we can treat people in the church. And maybe you can start today by saying hello to someone in the church you've never met before. The second thing Paul says is that the church should be a place that is free of division, free of division. We may have a high idea of community in mind when it comes to church, uh, but unfortunately, there will be things that people do that will hurt you. And if you've come to church thinking it's going to be perfect because it's all around Jesus, unfortunately, that is just not the case. You may have even disengaged from church because you had an experience similar to our one with the Residence Association. People didn't say hello. All they did is told you that you were sitting in their seat or whatever it was, or, or there was judgment on you or your family. Church is big and beautiful. However, it's also broken because it's filled with broken people. Sometimes it reflects the beautiful, but it often reflects the broken. Relationships are never perfect in any of our lives, and the church will be no different. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Life Together, and he said that we don't merely bear one another's burdens, The true burden is bearing one another. This is not just true of each other, but unfortunately it is often true of church leaders. There are times when we as church leaders fail or we make decisions that people around us disagree with. And I understand the frustration. Believe me, I've been doing church work for 20 years now. And there have been a few times where church leaders have made decisions which I've been frustrated with. But this thing called church is too important to allow others' failures to become a barrier to our unity. We need to practice the skills that it takes to ensure there is no division in the church. We overlook offense. We forgive. We show mercy and we show grace. We disabuse ourselves of our own pipe dreams and illusions of Christian community in order for the power of community to take effect. And that means that, that we work on things. Yes, there will come times when there are divisions that will come up. But we have an opportunity when that happens to work those through and say, look, I am not going to let there be divisions. And I will work it through so that we can then have a positive relationship together. As Voltaire said, a long dispute often means that both parties are wrong. Can I challenge you in this area uh, this morning? Are there people in this church or in another church who you have an issue with? How can you begin to work that through and move them from the negative side of the relationship equation to the positive side? Start today by praying about who you can uh, have a conversation with. And I want to acknowledge that these are awkward conversations. They're never easy, but embrace the awkwardness and move division into something positive. The third thing Paul encourages is for the people to be of one mind, united in thought, that we would think the same as each other. Now, he's not suggesting that we undergo some sort of mind mold where we all are exactly homogenous, we're, we're the same. But what he is encouraging is that we have the same thoughts Jesus has. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16 says, For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we, the church, have the mind of Christ. And here's the challenge. is for us to move into what I would call discipleship relationships. Discipleship relationships. We're together we are able to go deeper with each other. To bring our failures, to bring the things that we struggle with to one another, and to be able to move forward together. Discipleship is not about me practicing spiritual disciplines off in a room by myself, but it is about me becoming like Christ in the context of community. As you read the New Testament, that's what it's all about. Paul and his letters, it's about unity and holiness, and that's always together. Often we read those letters and we go, well, this is good advice for me. But I think if you check, the pronoun is usually we or you, meaning you all. It's about community. There's some great research that's been done by a group called the Barna Group. They have been looking at the uh, correlation between having positive church relationships and becoming what they would call a resilient disciple. We're going to put a table up on the uh, screen behind me if you can read that there. Yeah, they've split people into four groups. They're looking primarily here at 18 to 29-year-olds. The groups are prodigal ex-Christians, those who used to follow Jesus, nomads or people who are unchurched, habitual churchgoers who are regularly at church, Uh, And then resilient disciples, who are not only regularly at church, but their lives match up in a number of different values to core gospel values. Look at what they said about belonging in the church. Resilient disciples, 88% say the church is a place where I belong. Whereas only 43% of those who are habitual churchgoers. And of the unchurched or or the nomads, those who who don't come to church, trying to do maybe faith on their own. Only 10%. Someone in my life who encourages me spiritually. Connected to a community of Christians. I admire the faith of my my parents. I feel emotionally close to someone at church. You can see big differences there. It's very clear that there is a correlation between discipleship and community. Now, the question here is what caused what? Is it that resilient disciples are more open to emotional closeness? Or is it that creating emotionally close relationship leads to the creation of discipleship? This doesn't tell us clearly, but it's undoubtedly a mixture of both. As we get closer to others, we get closer to God. As we get closer to God, we get closer to others. C.S. Lewis says, Christ works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. We all need to find places of, uh, to be disciples and to disciple others. Connect groups are great places to practice this discipleship uh, journey. As you know and are known, you move closer in relationship to each other and to God. I know that the richest, the most rewarding relationships in my life are the ones where I can talk to, people I can talk to about my faith. People that I can uh, chat to about what God's doing in me. They give me the opportunity to talk to them. Why don't you start this week by considering someone you might ask out for a coffee outside of church. It's not just about being here. That table shows that those who just come to church don't necessarily connect and feel belonging inside the church what happens outside of a Sunday morning. Get to know each other more deeply. So we've got one final thing, and that is that we are united, not just in thought, but in purpose, in purpose. The purpose of bringing the glory of God to the world. As we serve God's purpose in the world together, we can't help but get to know each other more and grow closer to each other. Find a way that you can serve with other Christians. For some, that might be here on a Sunday. Can I tell you a little secret? This venue we're meeting in, it's not usually a church. Did you know that? This is actually, this is going to be shocking for you, it's a gym. It's a school gym. Actually, if you look behind the curtains, you might even see basketball hoops. I know, this is mind-blowing, right? You didn't even realize that. But what happens, what happens is uh, we have groups of people who come in and very faithfully help us to put the carpets down and the stage out and the chairs out, and then those who help to put the spark area and the crash area, and then kids workers who come in. And I've been part of churches in the past where we didn't have to do this. And when you turn up at 9:30, it feels a little bit a little bit empty. And here we go, oh yeah, we've got to do some work. But I tell you what, you turn up at 9.30. And there's already community happening. There are people who are chatting, oh, how was your week and going a bit deeper. There are people who are working together. There are those who are getting gear out, but in the process, there is something more. There's something more that is going on. We see a great value in being involved in mission. You know, one thing I love about this church is its intergenerationality. That's not even a word. But there is this uh, great mix of people of all ages, and there is a commitment to help people of all ages. My daughter is five, and there's this great thing with uh, one of the girls who's 12 or 13, and after church, they just play together. And I think that's amazing. That doesn't happen in many places. We have uh, spark areas. We've got our, our kids out there and amazing people helping them of different ages. It doesn't just have to be parents. Our rise area has fantastic helpers. And our, um, during the week, we have a seniors group, and we also have a toddlers group as well. And there is this amazing thing when people join those teams that they do go deeper in relationship with each other. We also have a young adults area, and if you're in the young adults area, if you're 18 to 30 or so, we are just in the process of uh, looking at that area once again. We already have a fantastic connect group happening uh, within that, for people within that age group, but not everyone's connected. So we're looking for ways we can connect everybody in a new season for us as a church. One person tweeted this. The teenager who looks over the congregation and thinks, these are my people, I belong here, is most likely to look up and say, you are my God, I belong in your presence. And that's part of our mission, is to make sure that we, whatever our age, we're connecting with people, whether they be teenagers, whether they be young, whether they be old, That this be a place for everybody. And then there is the mission that goes beyond just what we're doing in church. Because God has called us outside of these walls to love our community, to love our nation, and to love places like Fiji. And as we partner together in some of those things, then we go deeper in relationship. And as we see the mission that God has given to us in our workplaces, in our families, in our neighborhoods, and begin to talk about that mission, and to go closer in that, that that transforming of people around us, then we can't help but have that kind of deeper relationship. So I'm going to put another M up here for mission. So why don't you start this week by praying about people you can get involved in mission with. God has called you to be involved, and we can do it, not just by ourselves, but we can do it together. To move our relationships, I just want to give you three very quick things as we draw towards a close that it might require of us. Three things that will help us move out of division, move people from strangers into a friendly relationship, to have strong discipleship and mission relationships. The first one is investment. Life is busy, but we need to embrace the cost of giving uh, others an opportunity to be in our lives. Relationships are meaningful when we're devoted to fellow believers. We want to be around and we want to become. The second is authenticity and openness. Part of the investment is the ability to be wisely vulnerable with others. Now that doesn't mean you would share straight away with a stranger what you would share with someone you were married with. That's not wise. But you can give people a little bit of trust. And as they prove themselves trustworthy, give them just a little bit more. We need to find those people, though, that we can open up our lives to. And that also doesn't mean that our groups just become a place where you dump all of your problems. Oh, woe is me in my life. But we can bring ourselves before others and have them graciously bring the truth of God to our lives and see us become more like Jesus. The third, third thing is prayer. As we pray for each other, we open up our lives to God and one person is able to support another. You will notice that on some days, sometimes we encourage, no pressure, for people to pray for each other. What we're doing in this moment, those moments is stating a value. Whether you pray for someone else in those mornings or not, it doesn't matter. But we hope you receive the value. We can all invest into community through praying with each other. And that's sometimes a little bit awkward, but that's okay. It's what we value. It's time for us, for our identity, to be a united people, redeemed by God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We must identify uh, ourselves as a community, not just a group or a club that meets on Sundays, but a family deeply connected in the Spirit with a common surrender to the Lordship of Christ. This community, our community, should be authentic. Embracing the difficulty of living life and faith, but doing so from a secure base of ongoing relationship with God, leading to transformed living. As we're united in purpose, we can build deeper relationships with each other and simultaneously meet our need for belonging and show the world what they're missing real belonging. David Kinneman says, Christians can help to answer the deepest longings of our society for connection. Then instead of saying, in God we mistrust, people might be able to honestly say, in God and his people we trust. Can you stand to your feet with me this morning? This morning, I want to challenge us. This is about culture. What's our culture like here as a church? What are our values? And our culture is to be a place where everybody who walks through the door feels like, wow, there's something different here. There's something great. Because the life of Jesus is overflowing in us and through us to the world around Can we embrace that as a church? Can we begin to move closer to the community that was on Paul's mind as he dealt with issues in the church? Can we embrace the unity that was on Jesus' mind as he went to the cross? And sometimes it's really simple. And I used to say to my youth leaders, I said, every time that you come to youth group, I've got three challenges for you. Number one, be friendly with everyone. Number two, go a little bit deeper with a few. Ask them how their week was. Just have that kind of casual conversation. And then number three, go deep with one or two. Be friendly with everyone. Go deeper with a few and then go deep with one or two. Hey, you're struggling with that? Wow, can we pray about that? Can we talk? Can I help you? What can I do? How can I be involved in your life? And so today, maybe the simple step is after the service, going and talking to someone who you've not usually talked to. Or Maybe there's someone who you recognize has a deeper need and you can go deeper with them, even praying with them. For many of us, it'll look like us doing something outside the doors of the church.